You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from various proverbs listed in your bulletin. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil in perverted speech I hate. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, author Sam Albury put it like this. He said, our words are powerful. They're designed to be powerful. The universe exists because God spoke words. And he's made us as his image bearers to have the capacity to use words in a way that can build universes. Our words do things. Because we're created in the image of a God whose words do things. Our words are active. They're creative. As Alberry puts it here, they can build universes. They can build kingdoms. But the question that we all have to face is what kind of universes are we building with our words? This week we're beginning our journey through some of the various topics covered in the Proverbs. Over the last couple of weeks we've been laying a foundation for what we, we believe we must understand in order to understand the Proverbs proper that we're in now. And how we need to approach these sayings that show us how to live a wise life. And today we're going to look at what the Proverbs have to say about our words. Words are one of, if not the most covered topic in the Proverbs. When talking about living a wise life, the topic of speech in the Proverbs is pervasive because God knows how much speech actually pervades our lives. Everything we do in relation to others involves communication of some kind. Therefore, how we use our words is going to be a primary indicator of wisdom in our lives. We won't be able to cover everything there is to cover this morning about words. You 
definitely on a morning like this do not want a four-hour sermon from me. But today, I want us to see that there are three things about our words. There are three things that I want us to see from the book of Proverbs. And the first is that our words have power, our wor- or the power comes from our hearts, and our hearts are changed by our praise. And so first, our words have power. Words are like tools. Some of you know this, but in my senior year of high school, um, I used a tool inappropriately in high school woodshop, and I nearly cut off a couple of fingers because of it. I ran my hand through a table saw. And I was using a good tool, but I was using it in the wrong way. And the power of that tool left blood and hurt and numerous surgeries and years of physical therapy, and it changed life in its wake. And words are like tools. And we often fail to realize, though, that every tool on our lips is a power tool. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. One of the greatest lies that we all learned as children is sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And we all know that's false. More rightly, it's sticks and stones can break my bones and words can continually hurt me. They can perpetually hurt me. And that's because our words do things. They affect outcomes. They have power. And the outcomes that they produce are either helpful or hurtful. There's no middle ground. Our words create universes for those to whom we speak. Right? And you know this. I don't have to teach this to you. We all know how we've been impacted by the words of others in both good and bad ways. And we all know the ways that we've impacted others in our lives with our words for both good and bad. And we know that the closer the relationship, the deeper the impact. Someone on the street today could come up to you and say, I never want to see you again. And you may shrug it off and say, okay, that's fine. But if your spouse says that to you, Or if a parent says that to you, your closest friend says that to you, your child says that to you, your world just came crashing down. For better or worse, some of the things said to you in your childhood have impact on who you are to this day. They've defined you. I know that there are some some things today about who I am that have defined me, insecurities that I have to this day that date back to conversations I had in my childhood that I can vividly remember. And on the other hand, though, I also know that I am in part in this pastoral role right now, serving this church in this way because of a conversation over a decade ago that someone had with me where he saw something in me that I hadn't even identified in myself yet. Words have power. They change lives. They can speak a universe into existence, or they can reduce that universe to rubble. Look at 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. 12.25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Words have the power to break people or build them up. Words can change our emotions. They can dispel anxiety and replace it with joy and gladness. 
uh, on Friday morning, my wife and I were getting the kids up, and we were getting uh, the kids ready for summer school and daycare. Um, and very quickly, I grew very impatient. I started barking out commands and, and speaking out of my frustration in tones of harshness, and particularly towards my oldest, James. And while we were in the car, on, on the way to take him to school, I stopped and I, I looked at him and I said, James, I was wrong. I should not have spoken to you like that. Will you forgive me? And, and he looked back at me and he said, Dad, I forgive you. And I want you to know that I will always and forever love you. I had been using my words all morning, stirring up strife. I had been using my words to break his spirit, causing frustration and anxiety in him and everyone else in the house. And he gave me something I did not deserve. In just a moment, he gave me a gentle word. He, he gave me a soft answer. He watered a tree of life in my heart. This is what words can do. Words have power. They have the potential to help or to hurt, to wreck a heart or raise it from the dust heap. And listen, as I said earlier, the topic of words is pervasive. And so the applications of this topic are endless because we were, use words every day to communicate. But one unique way in our generation that we use our words is through social media. If, if words are like tools, then social media is like demo day at a construction site. You don't need any expertise to come in and tear things down. You don't need a bunch of special tools, really, or even, or even any skill in how to use them. You just need a heart set on destruction, and you'll do just fine. In fact, the algorithms are probably going to promote it. Social media has become not just a place to disagree, but to disassemble those with whom you disagree. And some of us, we're out there blessing, with our, using our thumbs, we're blessing our God and Father. And with those same thumbs, we're tearing down those made in his likeness. The Apostle James says words are, are like a fire. They're like a torch setting ablaze the world around us. It's a restless evil, we, we said in our confession. And social media is often like California during wildfire season. You can't open an app without smelling the smoke. And listen, I'm not above this. I've participated in this. I've had to go back and delete old posts. I've had to repent of the ways that I've used my words on social media because it's just too easy. This is part of the reason I'm not on Twitter at all anymore. I deleted my account because it's just too easy. It's too easy to sit behind a username and an avatar and just tear people down. But look, one of the things that we've said is that the Proverbs are telling us that living a wise life is living a, a life of pursuing both righteousness and justice. And many of us, we use our social media accounts to quickly jump online and use our words to let the world know what we think when tragedy happens. When injustice happens, we write a quick Twitter thread to make sure everybody knows. Everyone that already knows what we think, we're going to remind them. We, we jump on, online and we do an Instagram reel, tearing down people, re rejecting people, cursing them. We, we write an, a Facebook rant to make sure that everybody from high school remembers how we think. 
But hear this, what we have to see is that pursuing justice with unrighteous speech is unjust. And the opposite is true as well, right? To speak righteously, but to never pursue justice is unrighteousness. When we are wise with our speech, we will speak out against injustice. We will speak for the causes of justice, but we will do it in the words and tones of righteousness. But this isn't just Twitter. It's not just Instagram. It's not just Facebook or TikTok or maybe the next door app. We seem to be uniquely bold when we feel like there's some distance between us and the person that we're offending. Let me give you an example. Um, Have you ever sent a text message to the wrong person? Maybe you sent it about someone, but you accidentally sent it to that someone. Do you know that anxiety that comes over you? Even if it was a meaningless text message, you all of a sudden get anxious. You felt fine sending the message when you felt as though that there would be no consequences. And this is part of the reason I'm convinced that the best words, the wisest words, are often embodied words. They're words where we're physically present. Embodied speech changes the way that you speak. It changes the way that your words are received. Communication from behind an avatar or an email address or a text message tends to get misread because we can't read tone. We can't hear speed of speech. You can't see facial expressions. All of these things go in to how we interpret words. They help us convey our message. Right? I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he said that. Our words are either amplified or muted depending upon the setting. Proverbs 25.11 says it like this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. When and where we say things is often just as important as the things that we say. My time is up. (laughs) Words have power. And that power, for good or bad, is only strengthened when we consider the setting. But our words also have a place of origin. And that's our second point today. The power comes from our hearts. Author uh, John Amwachekwa said it like this. He said, words are like airplanes. They take off, they fly, and they land. But the landing makes all the difference. And often the result of the landing has more to do with the pilot than it does with the plane. Proverbs tell us that that our, our heart is the pilot of our words. 15.7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. 15.28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The, the imagery here of a wise person guarding his heart It's almost like a dam at a lake. The dam is there to limit the water that goes through because in certain circumstances, if all of it went through at once, it would be catastrophic. The Proverbs are telling us that maybe Thumper was right. If you don't have anything nice to say, maybe you shouldn't say anything at all. Proverbs later are going to say that even a fool is counted wise when he keeps his mouth shut. The heart of a righteous person will build that dam to ensure that they're not spewing catastrophes when they speak. 
16.23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. 26.24, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. Uh, commentator Derek Kidner says that a wise man is not necessarily a clever one. Just because a person is witty doesn't mean that they're wise. And that means that adding persuasiveness doesn't mean that wise words only come from the lips of great orators. But often it just simply means that the lips of someone who, with a pure heart and a pure motivation in their speaking is going to give you the most wise words you're going to hear. In fact, it seems that some have the ability to hide their motivation with their words. Sometimes it's the greatest speakers that are able to best disguise themselves. But what the Proverbs are trying to show us is that there's an intimate connection between the words that we say and the motivations that produce those words. Jesus is going to say it like this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's like, you want to know what's inside a cup? Shake it. What comes out is only what was already inside. And this means that we can never say things like, no, I didn't mean it. Yes, you did. You did mean it. Maybe you didn't mean to say it, but you meant it. Because what comes out is only what was in there. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon your vantage point, our words often have a knack for showing off the evil that lies within. In his essay, The Fire Next Time, James Baldwin, a prominent author during the Civil Rights Movement, describes how he became disenchanted with the Christianity that he once knew. He writes this, he says, when we were told to love everybody, I had thought that meant everybody. But no, it applied only to those who believed as we did. Baldwin is saying that part of the reason that he left the faith is because he saw behind the veil. Through people's words and their hypocrisy, he got a glimpse of their heart. People tried to hide their hatred with the right words, but eventually their hearts snuck out. Friends, the world is listening to us. Your colleague at work that just can't seem to get anything right. Your, your, your friend who's a parent, but they parent just a little bit differently than you do. Your previous church that you left because of theological differences. How do you speak about these people? What do you say about them when they're not around? What kind of words spill out of you when your cup is shaken? This is what proves what's in your heart. And if you're a Christian, the world is listening. They're making judgments about Jesus based on your words. The stakes are high. And listen, God is not indifferent to these things. 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. A perversion is just a deviation from what is right. And so this means that there are right and wrong things to say. There are words that God delights in and words that God despises. 
And the words that God loves are gracious and right words. They're words that speak truth. They're words that are faithful and righteous and just in keeping with who we are in Jesus. These are words that God delights in. And listen, there's a war going on in our hearts. If you've trusted in Jesus, there's a war between the way from above and the way from, the, from below, contending for who we are. And the one from below has been perverting God's words from the very beginning. Jesus says Satan is a liar, and he only ever speaks out of his character. Whenever he speaks, it's a perversion of truth, because that's who he is. And Revelation says that he uses his words day and night to accuse the saints before God. When you're tearing people down, when you're tearing them down before their heavenly father, what you're doing is you're actually acting more like Satan than you are like Jesus. And God hates these words. Satan's words are an arrogant abomination, and those who follow after him become like him. And at times, our words reflect our love for his ways more than they reflect our love for the ways of Jesus. Sometimes we think his ways are more productive. They'll actually get us to the end of, of the good end of Christ using these terrible means. The ways of hatred and perversion often capture our hearts, even those of us that have trusted in Christ. And so we have to be diligently killing the wicked parts of our hearts and realigning them with Jesus. And so the question is, how do we do that? If there's this war going on in our hearts, how do we recenter them? Well, the Proverbs tell us to recenter our hearts, we have to refocus our worship. And that's our third point this morning. Our hearts are changed by our praise. Proverbs 27, 21 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Just like heat refines and prepares the precious metal, the heat makes it usable, but it doesn't make it useful. The heat purifies the metal, but it doesn't turn it into a wedding ring. What we praise prepares us. It makes a usable heart in us. And when we open our mouths, our hearts are going to create words that are useful, words that do things, words that align with what we praise. And so the question is, to whom do you give your praise? The Apostle Paul says that at just the right time, God sent us his son. And the author of Hebrews says that this son is the final way that God has spoken to us. Previously, he had spoken to us uh, in various ways, through the, the prophets and other, other ways, but now he's spoken to us through Christ. And the gospel accounts present to us the Lord Jesus, a, a man whose primary ministry was a ministry of words, which makes it all the more fitting that the, the gospel writer of John in the opening chapter of his gospel, says that Jesus is the word become flesh. Jesus, God's very creative power, the word that made the entire universe, the word that spoke to the winds and the waves and said, peace, be still, and they listened. The very resurrection and the life, the one who called Lazarus out of the grave by name. This Jesus took on human form. He took on our weakness and frailty, and he spoke to us the words of life. 
It's been said there's, there's never been found a word that Jesus ought to have said. Even with the red letters in your Bible pointing them out, you'll never be able to look at the words of Christ and find a better way to say things. In every situation and at every moment, all of his words were apples of gold in a setting of silver. At his command, the wounded were healed. The lame walked. Demons fled. His heart was completely pure. He never misspoke, and persuasiveness flowed from his lips. He lived his life in the perfect fear of the Lord, hating evil and speaking words of grace to all of those with ears to hear. And those of us that he came to save, we saw Jesus in our midst. We heard him speaking the words of life. And we cried out with the crowds, crucify him. We denied him with our lips like Peter. With the rest of the crowds, we asked for Pilate to release to us the murderer of Barabbas rather than the author of life, Jesus. And now maybe you say, no, I didn't do that. I would never have done that. But we, we would have. I know that we would have because we do it every day. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of me, the least of these you do to me. Jesus is talking about the poor and the powerless and the weak. But who do you consider to be the least? Who do you consider to be less than? Who do you consider to be subhuman, worthy of these terrible words that you give them? What we do to them, we do to Christ. When we deny Jesus, we choose to dehumanize others with gossip and slander. We choose the murderer when we spew out words of hatred against those that we count as our enemies. Or worse, when our impatience boils over, we often give our cruelest words to our closest loved ones. But listen, because I need us to hear this. I need to hear this today. While we used our words to condemn the word of life with nail-pierced hands and a spear-pierced side and thorn-pierced brow, what words did Jesus return to his murderers? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the moment of deepest darkness, in the moment his cup was so greatly shaken, in the moment the, of greatest injustice that the world has ever known, Jesus poured out words of life for his enemies. The one who cast everything into existence by the power of his word was muted so that those of us who, who deserve to have our tongues cut out might speak the words of life. Who is this Jesus? What God is great like our God? In this act of utter weakness, the almighty power of God was displayed. The power of death and life are in the tongue. And while we cried out for his death, Jesus said, it is finished promising his resurrected life to all those who would believe. When, when this man is the object of our praise, when he is the furnace and the crucible of our hearts, he promises to change us and produce words of purpose for his kingdom. Words that build universes and spread his reign. And we've been given words for those inside the church and those outside the church. And we'll look at those two things, and then we'll be done. First, those inside the church. 1218. 
There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Listen, um, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, giving him our praise, by his Holy Spirit, we can use our words like he did. I know this sermon has been looking at primarily the ways that we use our words poorly. But I also want us to see that it's okay to see the good words coming out of our mouths and praise God for it. If you've been saved by the Lord Jesus, it's okay to give him glory for the ways that he's been changing your speech. Maybe you used to slander, you used to gossip, you used to tear people down with with your words because it made you feel better, made you feel like a bigger person, made you feel like you had some power in a situation where you felt powerless. But now that you've seen that Jesus has been torn down so that you would be built up, you use your words like he did. You use them to build people up. And it's okay to be happy about that. It's okay to see progress. Rejoice in it. When you see it in someone else, encourage them in it. This is what presses us forward. This is what gets us home. Encouraging one another in the Lord. Ray Ortland um, said it like this. He said, no one you meet today will be over-encouraged in the Lord. Paul says, let all things be done for building up. Keep going. Use your words to build up those around you. Everyone you meet today needs it. Hebrews 10 says that one of the primary reasons that we gather on Sunday is to encourage one another in the Lord every day. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Christ-exalting encouragement is comforting. It's healing. It presses us on to the end. So that's the words that we use for those in the church. Second, for those outside the church, 12, 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Just about every Wednesday morning, Pastor Christian and I, we go to UOP's campus and we work there uh, for the morning. And inevitably, we end up overhearing some interesting conversations amongst college students. Uh, weekend plans, sorority and fraternity happenings, um, the, the list kind of just goes on and on, relationship woes. And, and this last week, as I was sitting there working on my sermon, um, as expected, I overheard a nearby conversation. A girl was giving writing advice to her classmate, and she said, the reason I told you not to use the word weak to describe that character is because when something is weak, it's seen as a negative. Weakness becomes the very identity of that character. She continued, instead, use a different word. That way, when the character does something extraordinary, it doesn't seem out of character for him. The thing that this college student doesn't realize is that extraordinary power flowing from willing weakness is not out of character. Weakness is the way. God has chosen the weakness of the word of the cross to be his power of salvation. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We're commissioned. We've been sent to take this weak word to our friends to our coworkers, to our family members that need to hear it. And this weak word of the gospel of Jesus provides deliverance. 
The words of the wicked are after blood, but the words of the upright delivers them. Our words have power, and we either are going to be wielding that power to build God's kingdom or to tear it down. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and the word of Christ crucified is life to us and life for all of those to whom we're going to bring it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.